Thank you, Lord. How marvelous, how wonderful is the love of Jesus. Let's just sing that one more time, saints. Singing Just give him a clap of praise this morning. Lord, as I, as I hear these beautiful songs being sung this morning, and particularly that last song, God, I think about that down the street and across the world, every, churches all over the world this morning, they're lifting up your name in praise. God, and we are honored. We count ourselves among the blessed to be able to lift up your praise this morning to be able to lift up your name. We love you, God. We pray. We thank you for your presence in this place, and we love you, and we bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's just give them one more clap off of the praise. Well, as you may have already ascertained, Pastor David's not here, and I'm preaching again today, but this time I'm a little bit more prepared. It's a little less last minute. And I want to just say this as the band has exited off stage. I walked in here this morning and I, I came to hear practice for a few minutes. And I walked in the door and I was disappointed because I was like, well, they're done. They're already finished. But because there's a, there's a CD playing, you know, there's a sound, Spotify is already playing, but it was the band. It was them. So they were awesome this morning. So thank you, Dina. Thank you, Dusty Maurice. <clears throat> Go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke 10, 25, 37. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, my message this morning is called do, Go and Do Likewise. It's a message on kindness from the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's Luke 10, 25 through 37. And while you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a quick story. How many of you in here know that raising children can be quite a challenge? I know that I'm pre-George, yep, yep. <clears throat> I know that I'm preaching to the choir when I say that, but let me tell you a story real quick. One day, my wife was a teacher at the time. She was teaching preschool, and we were setting up her classroom, and there was these little preschool tables about this high off the ground. You know what I'm talking about? So our daughter, Emily, was two years old, and she, we were setting up the classroom, and we looked over, and all of a sudden, Emmy was sitting, standing on a table in nothing but her diaper with her belly stuck out like this with a pair of scissors. And I was like, for a moment, time seemed to just stand still. And I was like, Emmy, no. But, and I'd like to say I got to her, but actually I did not get to her. I was a split second too late, and she stabbed herself in the belly with the scissors. But she was only two years old, so she wasn't strong enough to break the skin. You know what she did, though? But I got to her, and I took the scissors, and you know what she did? She crossed her little arms, had that little tummy poking out in that diaper, said, put that little lip out and said, no, daddy, not nice. I was, in her mind, in her two-year-old mind, I was not being nice by taking the scissors away and not letting her run herself through samurai style. But 
I was being kind, right? That was everyone in here would agree that I would have had to have been insane to not take the scissors away. It was very kind to take the scissors away and save, save her. You know, there's a difference between nice and kind. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you for worship, God. But we thank you for your word. We thank you for the red-letter words of Jesus. We thank you for messages that come from his gospels and his words. God, we thank you. We praise you. And I pray that this morning, God, I, I feel honored, honored to bring this message to my church family. But I pray that the words I speak would be true, Lord. We praise you in the mighty name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. And everybody said, Amen. There's a difference between being nice and being kind. Sometimes we associate the two and we sort of use them interchangeably, but they're not actually the same thing, at least not according to the dictionary. But Jesus gives us a great illustration of kindness in this passage that I'm sure we've all been, we've all learned in, in, in childhood, uh, childhood Sunday school classes, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So again, in your Bibles, Luke 10, 25 through 37, we begin in verse 25. Excuse me. On one occasion of the law, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The expert in the law was asking this question nicely. I, I think he was, and here's why I say that I, I think he was asking this nicely. I'm going to put this down here. Because he called Jesus teacher. If you notice, he said teacher. Well, that was, that was a sign of respect. He didn't say, hey, dude, he said teacher. So he was at least giving him some degree of respect, right? Well, what was wrong with this question? What was wrong with this question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, he was, a, he was an expert in the law. So that implies that he would have known, he would have already had this worked out in his mind. But he was asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, the expert in the law, see, the problem is that the expert in the law was not asking for light on a dark subject. He, his intention was to test Jesus, and whenever a test is given in this way, it was always with the intention of failing the student. A good teacher gives a test to show what the student has learned, but a bad teacher gives a test to show what the student has, has not learned. Is that a fair statement, Miss Addie? Okay, Miss Addie was a, a teacher. We taught together at, at White Knoll Middle. There it is. Okay. So the expert in the law was given this question with the intent, intention of failing Jesus. We go on to read in verse 26, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God. And just to clarify, there's two, you know, maybe for the younger ones in the room, there's two, two voices in this scripture. One is Jesus and one is the expert in the law. They go back and forth. So this is the expert in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbors as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? Okay, so this was a loaded question too. Because the man probably was thinking to himself, okay, we've got our fellow Jews you know, they're our neighbors. Um, I've got the person that lives next door to me, you know. 
We've got the Romans, and the Romans conquered us, and they rule over us, and they're certainly not very nice to us on a day-to-day basis. We've got the Samaritans just across the border, you know, and they're, and they're, they're pagans. Come on, Jesus, tell us who our neighbor is. He was testing Jesus. And I'm convinced that after this man asked his question so nicely, Jesus gave him that 50-yard stare because he was about to tell a story that would expose the deepest, darkest secret in this man's heart. You can be nice to someone for the wrong reasons. You can be nice out of a sense of self-interest or ulterior motives, but not be kind to people. And that's what was happening here. That's what Jesus was dealing with here in this passage with this expert in the law. I'm not saying it's not good to be nice. Obviously, come on, niceness is good. Everybody wants people to be nice to them. I definitely want and prefer to be around nice people. But it's not the same thing as kindness, at least not according to the dictionary. And I wanted to point that out. I'm almost finished with nice versus kind, but I wanted to point this out. The the, uh, dictionary definition of nice is one, pleasant in manner, good-natured, giving pleasure or joy, good. Synonyms are agreeable and delightful, cordial. And that all sounds really good. Man, it really is. That's all good stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it's possible that sometimes we can, we can just stop here. Sometimes we can even be nice for the wrong motives. You can be nice for a fear of, out of a fear of rejection. You know, you can be nice because you don't want to lose your job. You can be um, nice to further your career, whatever your agenda is. And and that's what was happening here. This man was being nice because he was trying to trick Jesus. It's not the same thing as being kindness. And I fully believe this is why, why Jesus told him this next parable. Because not only is he going to tell who is your neighbor and answer the question of who is your neighbor, but he's also going to answer the question of how to be a good neighbor. So the man's going to get a two for one. The definition of kind. Let's look at the definition of kind. One, having or showing a gentle nature and a desire to help others. Already with that one sentence, I feel like that's better. Wanting and liking to do good things and to bring happiness to others. Having or showing a friendly, generous, considerate nature. Number three is of a good or benevolent nature or disposition. And, and, and the parentheses there are mine. That sounds an awful lot like nice, doesn't it? So when you're kind, you're going to be nice too. Kindness is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That means that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits that we're going to bear in our life is going to be kindness. Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We read in Ephesians 4, 20, uh, 4 32, Be kind and compassionate to one another. <clears throat> Excuse me. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And you know, the reason I wanted to explain the differences between kindness and niceness is because I feel like sometimes as Christians, I feel like sometimes we feel like if we're nice, we're good. But, but I wanted to really fully examine what is the center of the mark in Jesus' passage today. And the center of the mark is not merely being nice, it's being kind. What Jesus is calling us to do is something more than just being nice. He's calling us to something so much deeper, so much better. He's calling us to be kind. Now, Jesus gave a great illustration of what kindness looks like in this parable. We read in in verse 27. 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, I want to just sort of explain the setting of Jesus' parable, the setting of his illustration. The implication is that this man's a Jew since he was traveling from Jerusalem. The road that he was traveling on is called the Jerusalem to Jericho Road or just simply the Jericho Road. This road that he was traveling on is is about an 18-mile stretch of road that winds through wilderness and mountainous terrain. I've put a picture up. Obviously, this is a modern picture. That's not the Good Samaritan, obviously. That's a picture of modern-day travelers. If I'm not mistaken, I could be mistaken on this, but I believe that some parts of the road you can, you can hike. Maybe there's parts of it where you can drive, but you can still travel the road regardless today. <clears throat> Definitely walking. There were lots of caves and caverns and places for bad guys to hide. The Jewish historian Josephus wrote of how, many, how people would take weapons to protect themselves as they traveled along this road. It was always highly encouraged to travel in groups. So if you knew someone that was about to travel down this road, even if you didn't know them very well or even if you didn't like them very well, you would keep them in eyeshot as you traveled this road because there was safety in numbers. If you look at a map, Jericho is slightly northeast. It's, it's, it's east, but slightly northeast of, of Jerusalem. But in verse 30, it says that he went down from Jerusalem. And why does it say that? It says that because the text normally says when you're going from Jerusalem, it'll normally say down. And the reason is, is because Jerusalem is like uh, 2,300 miles above sea level. It's like a half a mile above, I'm sorry, half a, 2,300 feet above sea level or half a mile above sea level. Jericho was 1,300 feet below sea level, so he's going down a road that's going to drop like 3,600 feet in a half a mile, in less than 20 miles. It was a treacherous road, a treacherous road filled with treacherous people that would lay in wait for people. The church father, Jerome, called it the bloody way or the red road because he said, if you travel down this road, you're going to bleed or die. So Jesus picked the worst road in Israel for the setting of his illustration. And as this fellow lay on this road, you can imagine how he must have felt. When you understand the gravity of this man's situation, you can empathize with how he must have felt. When we can empathize with another person, when we can feel what this other person is feeling, we're going to be more likely to act out of compassion, not and step in and show kindness. It's not 100% necessary, but it definitely makes us more likely to do so. We read, in, we read in verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, have you ever saw the part in the movie where just, just any, like a, like a, like a 
thriller type movie where the guys, the, the, the protagonist or the star of the movie is, is lost in the woods. Maybe he's getting chased by a bear. Maybe, he's, maybe the woods themselves are just the antagonist and he's just lost and he's desperate and he's starving and he's tired and he's beaten. And he's just laying there and, and, and what, what you don't know, or what you know because you're watching a movie, but he doesn't know, is that he's very close to help. The ranger station is just like a few hundred feet over through the woods. And then, as he's laying there and he's ready to give up, all of a sudden we see the flashlights coming through the woods for, of, the surf, of the search party. And we know because we've been watching the movie, that this man's saved now. We know he's saved, and then we don't even get a further explanation. The credits just roll. Boom. <clears throat> you know, this might have been how this man felt when he saw the priest coming. I mean, you know, because he, he, he's like, there's a priest coming to help me, so now I'm saved. This is how he must have felt when he saw the priest coming. And then what happened? How many of you know the priest did not help? The priest just walked over onto the other side of the road, cold, stone cold. He walked over to the other side of the road. Why did the priest walk to the other side of the road? Why did this happen? Now, if we wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, we could take the cultural context into consideration or the historical context. After all, if a priest got near a dead body and touched it, he would be considered unclean for seven days. So if he got near the man, his response would have probably been, man, I was scheduled to preach the sermon tomorrow. Now I can't preach. I was scheduled to offer the sacrifice. Now i got to wait seven days to be clean. And, I, and what that means is I might have lost my turn. It'll be years before I have this opportunity again. I'm a holy man. I'm a priest. And I can't afford to have my work interrupted by this man who didn't even have the the mindset to, to, to travel down this road safely, it's his fault. This could have been what the priest was thinking. Well, script, we continue in verse 32. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, moved to the other side and just walked straight by. Let, let me just tell you the difference really quick between a priest and a Levite, just so you know. A priest... All priests were Levites, but a Levite was not necessarily a priest. A Levite was a person from the tribe of Levi, not necessarily a priest. So at this point, the man was probably thinking, he was laying there on the side of the road. The priest had already walked by, but he sees this Levite coming. And he's like, you know what? He doesn't have the same restrictions, and he's a Levite. He's good people, so surely he's going to stop and help me. But guess what? He did not do so. He moved to the other side of the road. Now, if we wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, now there, there's a legitimate, there could have been a legitimate reason. They could have been afraid of it being a trap and getting jumped themselves. They could have been afraid that the man, the man being unclean or demon-possessed. So maybe in their minds, they had a good reason not to stop and help. But they were not being good neighbors to the man. And that's essentially what Jesus is, is saying in this passage, is he's teaching us not only who is our neighbor, but how to be a good neighbor. Somebody's phone went off, and I think I heard it say Jesus. 
That was awesome. That's a good. If it's going to go off, I mean, I'd like, that's a cool thing for it to say, right? <laughs> you know, he might have been afraid that, some, that, that, that this man laying there, the Levite might have been afraid that the man laying there was a decoy. How many of you have seen somebody, you drive, you drive on the side of the road and you see them, you know, set up, they're, they, they're trying to change their tire, or maybe they're, they're, it's obvious that they, they don't have the equipment to change their tire, and you just think, ah, you know, maybe it's 3 o'clock in the morning, I don't know, you're like, ah, just look suspicious, I'm just, I'm just going to go. You know, maybe that's the mindset that the Levite had. When, you, when he went over to help, he would be jumped by these evil people, and it wasn't worth taking the risk. The Levite might have thought, hey, this man didn't even have the sense to travel with anyone else, so it was his own fault he got beaten. All right, so maybe. So again, taking the historical context, where they were, kind of how things were in their culture. I've introduced the first few characters. Now let's introduce the, the fourth character, and you all know who he is. He's in the, uh, the title of the parable, The Good Samaritan. Now we've talked about the first three. I want to talk about, before we bring him up, though, I want to talk about the connotation of the word Samaritan. So as you know, there are words in, in, in our language, or, or probably any language, that can have either a negative or positive connotation. And they mean something different than they're actually supposed to mean. Well, let's take, for example, the word dog in our culture, or, or even the word pig. If we call someone a dog, at the very least, what are we saying? Even if we say it playful, playfully, we're just saying they're being a rascal. Like, you know, you old dog. If we call them a dog with a little more serious tone, like, you're, a, you're a dog. It means that they've offended us so deeply that we consider them on the level of man's best friend, of a four-legged dog, um, in our times today, however, the word Samaritan has a very positive connotation. You've, you've got Samaritan's Purse charity. Maybe some of you can even think of another charity with the word Samaritan in it, but there's a lot of charities with the name Samaritan in it. If you're listening to a news report, a lot of times they'll, they'll say, if, if they're talking about someone had did a good deed, they might say, a Samaritan showed up and helped. A good Samaritan showed up and helped. Or maybe they'll just say a Samaritan showed up and helped. Or, or they may just say a Samaritan showed up and helped. Now, when we hear this, we don't really think that the news anchor is saying, actually saying that a real, actual Samaritan person showed up. No, of course we don't, because we all know what they mean by Samaritan, that it's a good, kind-hearted person showed up, got involved, and helped out in some way. Okay, we all know that. But did you know that the connotation for the word Samaritan was not the same? It was not positive in Jesus' day, not, not to Jews anyway. In fact, it's safe to say that the word Samaritan was so bad that the Jews would often use it to put others down, much like we use the word dog today or pig today. Jews viewed Samaritans as a mixed race of Jews from the north and Gentiles. Let me take a moment just to explain a little bit about why. Now, I'm, now Mr. Rick's going to throw these, these facts on the screen, and I'm actually just going to read these to you. Um, I'm not going to explain any of them. I'm just gonna, there's eight bullet points, and I'm just going to read straight down. 
But by the end of this, I feel like you'll have a better understanding of, of the why Jews and Samaritans hated each other so much in, in Jesus' day. So the Jews were conquered by Assyria, and most of them were carried off into captivity. The Assyrians brought in Gentile colonists from Babylon and some other places to resettle the land in the northern kingdom of Israel. These new Gentile settlers brought in their pagan idols, which the remaining Jews began to worship alongside the God of Israel. The remaining Jews intermarried with these Gentiles, producing the Samaritans. Okay, let's go to the next four. <clears throat> now I feel like I'm teaching a class. The southern kingdom of Judah was conquered by Babylon and carried off into captivity. Seventy years later, when they were released, the northern kingdom is now inhabited by the Samaritans. The northern kingdom, the Samaritans, vigorously opposed the reestablishment of the kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom opposed the worship and practices of their pagan cousins to the north. Now that gives you just a little bit of, you know, insight as to why uh, as to the gravity of not only the, 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 the setting of Jesus' parable, but also the character that was going to come in and save the day. All that to say, Jews and Samaritans hated each other real bad. Both, believe, both nations believed that the other nation should not even be allowed to exist. Jews and Samaritans would go out of their way not even to get close to the territory of one another. A Gentile was evil, but Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile, and the Jews saw them as a corruption of something that was holy. Now, I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just simply saying how the Jews, what the Jews felt. This is, this is the animosity between these two groups at the time. Because listen, for however much the Jews hated the Samaritans, the, the Samaritans hated them too. The Samaritans fought Israel in the wars with Greece and Rome. There was an absolute bitter hatred between Jews and Samaritans. And I could just picture, I could just picture this Jewish man all beat up. He's exhausted. He, he just got mugged and beat to within an inch of his life. And he's just ready to give up because, look, I mean, I mean, a priest walked by, a Levite just walked by. I mean, who, who's going to help him? Seriously, if those, I mean, you know. And all of a sudden, here comes one more person. And as this passerby comes in the focus of eyes that are blurred from tears and blood, the man just falls back and cries out, oh, no. Oh, man, not him, anyone but him, because there's no way he's going to help. There's no way he's going to help. That's, he's just going to, the other two just walked around me, okay? He's probably going to kick me as he walks by. But how many of you know that that's not what happened? Let's read on in verse 33. But a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own donkey, brought him back to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you. For any expense you may, any other expense you may have. Now, this is an example of, of kindness 
illustrated by Jesus, the master storyteller. If you were aspiring to be a, um, a boxer or a, or a golf player or a songwriter, folks like Mike Tyson, Tiger Woods, you know, Willie Nelson, I don't know, one of the greatest songwriters of all time, you would, you would seek, you would hang on every word they said. And then we were singing a song a little earlier that said, Life Defined. And our, we want our life to be defined in Christ. That means that when, we, when people look at us, we want them to see Jesus. That's essentially what the song was saying, right, wasn't it? Our life defined. Well, how better than to examine the words of the master who's telling you how to be kind? Some scholars believe that a stay at the end around this time would have cost around one-twelfth of a denarius. The Samaritan gave him two denarii. This would have covered the man's stay for like three weeks. Wow, he didn't just say, hey, you know, put him up for the night, you know, boot him out in the morning. He covered the man's stay for like three weeks. And he said that if the man needed to stay longer, let him and it would be covered. No, he's going to stay for three weeks. And look, I mean, if, if he gets to the end of three weeks... And he's still not feeling up to it. Or look, if he just wants to feel like he needs to take a mental rest for another week, let him stay. I wasn't as excited about that one because it didn't say Jesus. <laughs> let him stay longer and, and his stay will be covered. His expense will be covered. So this is treating someone like you want to be treated by the master storyteller. This is love your neighbor as yourself, illustrated by the master storyteller himself, Jesus. And I feel like that this man just got a twofer because he, you know, he's my neighbor, Jesus. But he got not only who is your neighbor, but how, how to treat your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you know what? You be a neighbor. You be a neighbor. You want to know who your neighbor is? You be a neighbor. Let's read on in verse 36. Well, let's get to the climax here of, of what Jesus is saying. Which of these do you, now Jesus is asking the question, which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, and listen, I mean, I, it doesn't say this here in the Bible. This is my, what I think when I read it, is that this man's tone of voice went from super arrogant Super humble. He must have went to sounding like Richard Dawkins or Neil deGrasse Tyson or Albert Einstein or somebody to like Snuffleupagus from Sesame Street. He went just, I feel like when I read this, the one who had mercy on him. Now, I don't know if that was true, but that's what I think. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I imagine the man's tone of voice had completely changed from arrogance to humility what more could this poor man say at this point? What more could he do but sheepishly agree because he just got a mic, and I'm not trying to be funny, but he just got a mic drop from God. He just got told, he asked this question because he was trying to be this big, bad religious leader, but he got told, revealed, hey, look, I know that I'm telling this story about you or at least what's in your heart. We see when Jesus said, go and do likewise, he was offering this man a second chance. He was saying, you know, I know you. 
And I know that you know that I've painted a picture of you here today. Maybe he, this really did happen to him. I don't know. Jesus knew. I don't know. Maybe it was just what he would have done faced with. Maybe Jesus knew that what he would have done faced with that decision. And, and he painted a picture and the man knew it. But I'm offering you a, the grace to go and do likewise. This was an opportunity for the man to repent and change his ways to go and do likewise. So the question is, what does any of this have to do with us now? What's the application in this passage? We've got an illustration on kindness by the master storyteller. We've got instructions for, you know, he told the man to go and do likewise. But listen, Jesus' illustration is not just an answer to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? It's also an illustration of how to be a neighbor, and this is for us. Everyone who reads the words of Jesus' parable has the opportunity to learn from this man's mistake. Jesus is illustrating how to live out the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Something he fully expects us to be, to be kind to people. Wayne and I were having a conversation before service, and I was telling him, you know, my, my sermon's going to be on kindness. It's going to be on the, the, the par, uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. And he said, well, you know, I think it goes hand in hand with that is the second greatest command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I said, wait a minute, you, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> yes, it does go hand in hand with it because Jesus is, is illustrating how to live that out in your life. Everyone who reads the words of Jesus' parable has an opportunity to learn from this man's mistake. Jesus is illustrating how we're to live out the second greatest command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Something, by the way, that he fully expects us to do. This isn't a suggestion from Jesus. It's to go and, and live, love your neighbor as yourself, to go out and do likewise, to be kind to people. He's offering this man grace. And he's offering him a choice to go out and follow the example of the Good Samaritan instead of being the kind of person who would just simply walk around someone in need. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the man who would simply walk around someone in need. Now, now before service, another conversation I had was with, was with Brandon. A lot of you know Brandon. He's Dina's, the, the lady who led worship. He was, that's... Uh, Dina's husband. And he came up to me and said, Kevin, hey, next Friday, I need you to help me move. And I'm like, well, how could I possibly say no, <laughs> given what my sermon's about? He's, he said, uh, yeah, so, so, so yes, yes. So there was a need there, and I don't have anything to do necessarily, so I'm going to go help him, help my brother. But, he, but Jesus doesn't want us to be the kind of person who would just simply walk around someone. He wants us to be the kind of person who would stop and help. What he's saying here is that we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that when we run into a person in need, we do not hesitate to help. Our answer is going to be yes. It's about finding a need and meeting it, or at the very least, finding a need when it meets you. Meeting a need when it finds you. And, and here's the way to do that. When we see somebody that needs our help and we get that feeling, that little feeling that we ought to help, just help. That's really what Jesus is illustrating here in this parable. When we, when we run into a person, now, he, now this was a very extreme example, but there's other needs that people have. Some, you know, side of the road, 
needs, you know, they're, they're pushing their car out of the road and they're struggling in the hot sun. Man, don't just say, best of luck to you, buddy. You know, enjoy that 105 degree heat. No, just stop and help them push it anyway. Um, when we see someone needs our help and we get that feeling we ought to help, let's just help. Let's make sure that we make kindness a priority and not just to think, well, as long as we're nice, we're all right. And I said that in the beginning to say, I just don't feel like that's what Jesus was saying here is, well, you know, hey, buddy, all right, oh, guys are doing good. You know, I'm going to go now. I'm going to walk around you too. He wasn't just nice. He was kind because he stopped and helped. And that's what the whole heart of the parable, that's the center of the mark today. Let's make sure that kindness is a priority. Let's make sure that compassion is the priority. Let's make sure that we are empathizing with how others feel. Let's make sure, let's find a need and meet it. Or let's meet a need when it finds us. We might not be able to change things that are happening in this world. And we may get frustrated when we see things the way they are in this world. They're not like they were when we grew up because of the internet. The kids asked me in middle school the other night, w the question was, if you could have like uninvented one thing in history, what would it be? And they all knew what I was going to say. The internet. That's for another story. That's, that's for a personal conversation, not, not a sermon. Anyway, um, when we be kind this is what I hope, in closing, this is what I hope you take away from this message today. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. When we see someone in need, let us not be the one who walks around them. Stop and treat them like you would want to be treated. Stop and help them like you would want to be helped. Stop and love them like you would want to be loved. We should strive. You know, we, 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 we try to be like Jesus. And I feel like sometimes, I, I, I'm going to stop saying we. I'm going to say me. I try to be like, I try. But I feel like I often fail miser miserably. I don't know if you feel that way too. But we should strive to be kind to one another. We do that by choosing to help when someone is in need. Let us do what Jesus is calling us to do here in this parable and go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today, God, that while we have breath in our lungs, we have a choice. We have an opportunity to go and be kind to people. And what that's doing, God, is, is showing them the love of Jesus. Our, we want our life to be defined by the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And God, help us to be closer to you and instead of worrying about some kind of psychological program, this is how I'm going to be more kind, this is what I'm going to do, let us strive for, let us run towards the author of kindness, the God who is love. Let that be our goal today, is to just say, you know what, I do fail. Sometimes I drive by the man with a sign. Sometimes I drive by the person holding, pushing the car out in the road. God, help me to strive towards you so that I may know you and that I may show people love so that we can look after the least of these.
In the mighty name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen.